0: Welcome to Let's Talk Learning Disabilities with Lori Peterson and Abby Weinstein. Lori and Abby spend their days talking about dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, and ADHD. They talk to parents of struggling students and adults who have had a lifetime of academic challenges. They want to share those stories along with their own insights with you. So, Let's Talk Learning Disabilities.
1: Lori. And this is Abby. Welcome to episode 42 of Let's Talk Learning Disabilities. We are excited you're here. Today we have Jen Benna. She is a parent advocate, a parent trainer, a parent coach. She's all things parents would need if you have a student that has any kind of learning disability, really. Would that be a good way you think to kind of sum it up? And so we've got all kinds of questions for her today. We're so excited to have her. Jen, thank you for being here today. Hi, thank you so much for having me on today. So I think the easiest thing for us to do is just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself. Like, what do you do and how'd you get there? Okay. So
2: I am a board-certified behavior analyst, which is a very fancy way of saying behavioral scientist. (laughs) (laughs) I um, look at the environment um, and we try to manipulate it to see how um, we can change or shape behavior. Hmm. Either increased behavior or decreased behavior. So I love course, that definition. Mm-hmm, Right? learning environments, um, social skills, functional skills. So anything you can do there. Um, I am also a licensed social worker. So I like to look at the whole child and family and anyone who interacts with them. And I'm a special needs mom. I have two kids. Um, my daughter is strictly type A. She is um, overachiever to the max. My son is, um, he's diagnosed with ADHD, ocular motor dysfunction, which means his eyes were not working together, the muscles at the same time, and um, visual processing mm. disorders. So he, he has actually really come so, so far, but I'm also so working with him as a special needs mom. So I do sit on both sides of the table.
1: Can I ask a quick question? Because I don't want to get off topic. But for your son, did he get vision therapy, a therapeutic lenses? Like what has been his therapy regimen?
2: So for the ocular motor dysfunction, um, we discovered that in third grade. He's now in seventh grade. So okay, he's good. 13. And I had no idea, but he was tested and evaluated through school. And one of the um, the teacher actually said to me, you know, my kids have, she had twins, visual processing disorder, Used to have them you should have him checked out. So I did. And he had about nine months of, um, therapy for the ocular motor dysfunction, not the visual processing. Um, yes. And so it was, he really didn't enjoy it. I'm not going to lie, but it was so, so helpful for him because fun fact is that sometimes with the, um, ocular motor dysfunction, it mimics some of the symptoms of ADHD. So you have all of those pieces going together. And so for him, it did make a huge difference in reading and in being able to um, coordinate himself a little better. So he did nine months of um, ocular motor therapy
1: and it really helped bridge that gap. Thank you for getting letting us get off topic. We see a tons of tons of kids with visual processing type issues similar to that. Mm-hmm. And we have probably two other episodes about it, but it's just fun to hear a parent's point of view of therapy because we have parents ask us all the time,
3: therapy. That's the strangest thing I've ever heard. But And it's great to know it improved his reading skills.
2: So much. I mean, and please, I'm the queen of off topic. So you throw in any questions that you want <laughs> and my little ADHD brain will follow right along with you. We're all on the same page. Um, so... I at first was like, I don't know if this is going to help, but it, it really closed the gap. He is on grade level for reading now. And it made, he he was like five grade levels below. Like it Mm -hmm. was a huge jump. Comprehension. That's another story. We're now working on that, but his reading has really, like his eyes are working the way they're supposed to. Okay. Thank you for sharing that.
3: My pleasure. So would, did you become an advocate because you were spending so much time already advocating for your own children. So that is a great question. I I was a teacher way back in the day.
2: And while I was teaching, I was like so how are things going at home and what's going on? Like I wanted to talk to the kids and get to know them and their families and try to provide supports in that way. So I became a social worker which I really loved doing. I ended up working with um, students with behavioral issues, with mental health diagnoses, with learning disabilities, which led me to become a BCBA. I was doing mm-hmm. all of, of that stuff. In the meantime, my son, when, when he was younger, I was like, man, I don't know, because, you know, you really can't diagnose your own child. Make a right. try, <laughs> so you keep right, working, and you're like, "Hmm." And so it started at like three years old in preschool. He wasn't his um, grip wasn't really that strong, so I had him evaluated, and they were like, "Oh no, he's great. He does have a weak um, finger grasp, but that'll come." Fast forward, he's in school. I'm also working in a school. I'm a professional at this point, sitting on both sides of the table, and. I had him evaluated again because his kindergarten teacher was like, you got to do something here. Evaluate him again. Still. Oh, he does great. There's no need. Whatever. So we kept going. So by third grade, his teacher was like, this is not working. She's modifying all the work for him. It had grown beyond like his pencil grip. I mean, his handwriting is atrocious anyway, but It had grown way past that to the point where he wasn't able to keep up. They tested him and because they're testing him in a one-to-one setting and they're reading to him, he came out with flying colors. Uh And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So I was fighting and fighting and fighting. Um, I did get him classified through or diagnosed with ADHD during that time. So with the diagnosis and with the teacher's input, um they agreed to classify him, but that was a struggle. And then once they classified him, it was um, March or April of the year that year, and they were like, our only option is to move his class. I was like, let me tell you something. The class he was going into was a lovely teacher, but this teacher was very like Unorganized and much more loosey goosey. Where the teacher mm. he was with, it was March. He finally knew the routine of the classroom. He worked really well with her. She was amazing, and I lost it. And mm-hmm. I was like, I will, I will take you to do process. I mean, I went all the way up the up the, ante. So, yes, is the very long version. That was a long version. Yeah, I could not imagine other parents who weren't in the field having to try to navigate this system and do it alone.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, and there's so many parents that I do see because I do work in schools full-time now as also as a BCBA. Um, in addition to my own business and I sit at meetings and I'm just like, there are so many parents that really need the support and
3: guidance mm-hmm. and they're not getting that from schools. Right. Right. So, it so was, we're not fully informing them of what exactly is going on, what their rights are. They're their not options. E- their options. They're not explaining all the acronyms and the services and supports that are available.
1: A thousand percent. So I mean, what is the difference then? Would you? How would you define an advocate versus more of a consultant? So as you know, because a lot of people are thinking they need to get an advocate. Not everybody always needs an advocate, correct?
2: Correct. Which... Um, I love that you asked that also. So as a consultant, something that I do is, you know, if I meet with a parent, everything I do is virtually, right? And other consultants will do this virtually or in person, but I look at all the documents. So if a parent will send me the IEP, the evaluations, any data collected, any pertinent information, and then we develop in talking with the parents because they are, the most important member of the IEP team, um, talking with them and if the child's able to or old enough to be involved, talking with them also and finding out you know, where they want their education to go and making sure that everything is where it is, that they're getting the services that they need, that they're making progress, that their IEP um, is organized and well-written. And that's kind of a proactive strategy. So the consultant piece is something that you would do going into it for good measure to make sure mm-hmm. that your child's getting everything.
1: Are you helping them understand like what to ask for, the kind of language to use, like you're prepping them. It's almost like you're coaching them behind the scenes. A hundred percent
2: because the lingo alone is enough to have parents just sitting there going, what are you talking about? Right. Um, and I have a lot of uh, friends with kids with special needs. And when I I I created a course to help do that. And that's one of the first things that they all said to me was, they just kept saying at these meetings, my kids need services. And I don't even know what services they're like, what do they mean? What does that word mean?
1: Mm -hmm. So
2: it is complete coaching behind the scenes from soup to nuts.
1: So then advocacy would be. So
2: advocacy is when they've done all they can The parents, they they know the lingo. They know what they're saying. They've gone to the school and said, um, you know, my child needs this, this and this. And the school is like, "Mm, sorry, we can't do that. Or we don't have those services or no, we don't think your child needs that. Then an advocate is really the hammer (laughs) that goes to the meeting and tries to negotiate. You know, and again, I think it depends on the the approach. I've worked with many schools as a, as an advocate where uh, they want to work with the parents. They need that bridge to kind of
3: gap the middle ground. Mm-hmm. It's more of a collaboration. Yes.
1: But advocates from a school point of view are often known as troublemakers.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Sure. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. And even as a school district employee, when you hear like they have an advocate, I honestly feel that the school district jumps a little bit harder to get the student what they need, Mm
3: -hmm. which is
2: very unfortunate. But when you hear and some advocates are attorneys, I'm not, Mm -hmm. um, but some advocates are attorneys. And if you hear advocate or attorney, the district seems to really pull it together rather quickly.
1: Well, that's dollar signs of time spent in due process or court or whatever. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think, too, you know, it's important to also point out that so much of special education and Section 504 are it's rooted in law. So when you have a school that's not doing what they should for this child, there are lots of places in these laws that that an advocate can then, you know, point out Mm It does make them jump. Absolutely. And what's
2: interesting is so you have, you know, IDEA, which is the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, and that's national. Right. Now, there are those little pieces in between in different states, but that provides bare minimum to all the states.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And parents aren't aware of that. Mm.
1: So tell me about the course that you developed.
2: So I developed a course to help parents specifically navigate the special education school system and then learn behavior strategies and techniques to use at home. So it's, it's twofold. And the first, it, it starts right from the beginning. So it starts with all the lingo. There is an entire um, module on the lingo alone.
3: Uh-huh. The special education acronyms. <sighs> special education so many acronyms are enough. Just, I mean,
2: even again, as a professional, it takes a while to be like, wait, what is this? And there's different classrooms that they tend to use acronyms for as well. So they may say you're moving a child. You have no idea what they even mean into to which classroom. Um, so it goes through that, what your child's day should look like. Um, if you're in um, the self-contained classroom, What supports and services are available in school, how to get those early intervention, which is huge. Um, And then it talks about finding cohesion at home. So, you know, getting all of the adults in the house on the same page and then ways to carry out behavior modifications if your learner is struggling at home that's awesome that is awesome thank
3: you so is it a self-guided course that they would purchase from you and work through it on their own time or do they meet with you for the modules and for learning that is a great question so it's self-guided so when you buy the course you get access to
2: um all of all of the lessons immediately but you also get to join uh, my private facebook group and then you'll have access to me to ask questions um, other parents to collaborate with, um, and from all over. So it's not just, I'm, I'm sitting in New Jersey right now, but I'm working with parents um, all over from um, Colorado, from Texas, New Jersey, uh, Massachusetts. So it's, it's all over. So they do have that
1: direct access to me in addition of working through the modules at their own pace. I think that's so great to let the parents collaborate together too, because they Mm -hmm. can bounce ideas off each other. And it's, there's just peace of mind knowing other people are having some of the similar struggles,
2: you know, and parents have gone through so much. And I think that we all can continually learn. Um, So I love getting ideas from parents or hearing different ways people have done things. and I mean, I just think that we all work together really well when you have other people that have gone through situations and you can collaborate with them.
3: Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, we often even get parents that come to us and they're not sure if their child's receiving special education or 504 services. They don't even fully understand the difference between the two. And they might say, yes, they have a 504 plan and here's a copy of their IEP.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's so hard. And, you know, unfortunately, some districts and not all, I've seen amazing districts, and it's is they don't explain anything, right? So they just hand you papers and say, sign this, or this mm-hmm. is what we're doing and sign this. And parents, sometimes it's intimidating to ask the questions.
1: Well, right. you're in this meeting with six other professionals and you just want your child to get help. So that's what you're there for. I'll sign anything like whatever. If, if this means we're getting help, I'll take exactly. it. I'll figure out the details later.
3: Right. Yeah, and it exactly. is intimidating with all those professionals across the table from you. I feel like many parents are afraid to stop and ask questions.
2: I agree. And, you know, when you're looking at them as, quote, the experts, mm-hmm. and so you're, you are trying to take at face value what they're saying. And sometimes you can't do that, right? right. You, know, if you just, you have to, to make sure that you are doing your due diligence on the side. Okay.
3: Yeah. And it's important for them to understand that their voice matters and that they have rights and that they're a key stakeholder in their child's education and in the IEP team. So I'm sure that's part of what you teach them is about having a voice and advocating for their child's needs, right?
2: Absolutely.
3: My biggest thing is
2: parents know their child best. They should trust their gut. And if something doesn't feel right, they should advocate for that. And it, my course is all about empowering. I right. want to empower parents to become their own advocates so that they don't need to hire someone else um, and just learn how to, again, navigate all of that right. while feeling positive about it and mm-hmm. feeling like they're a valued
1: member of the team. Do you feel like there's a, a- an issue or a situation that you hear frequently from parents? Is there like, like if you had to list like the number one issue parents are running into with schools these days, is there one that just keeps coming up over and over?
2: Yes. There are a few. Honestly, Um, a lot of times that parents absolutely just don't know that services are available. And I mean, that's the number one. They don't know what's out there in schools. We have occupational therapy, speech therapy, behavioral support, Um, counseling, counseling, Mm -hmm. and they can even have outside counseling come into the school if you can't get your child there after school hours to outside counseling as well. I mean, there's just so many things that are attainable in schools that districts, and again, financially, staffing, there are a, a multitude of reasons why they may not offer them, but they're available. So parents don't know that. Which leads into parents don't know what services their child may need. Mm-hmm. You know, if the school is your first access to uh, services or supports and they're only giving you pieces of information, you may not know that your child needs something else because mm-hmm. it's not being explained to you. Right. So, and then getting it from schools. I mean, it's all, it's getting the services that they need and, 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 That can also be a challenge for, again, financially, staffing
1: issues. And getting them consistently. I think that's what we find, too, is that we'll have kids that will get, you know, OT on consult for 20 minutes every eight weeks or speech therapy for 20 minutes, you know, two times a week. And it's like, oh, my gosh, in 20 minutes, how much are you getting done? Mm -hmm. You know, by the time you get started, it's time to wrap it up. And so parents don't realize that they can. That's negotiable.
2: Absolutely. And they can ask for additional minutes. They can ask for additional sessions. They, you know, Mm. it's, they can ask for group sessions if your child needs to work in a group setting. So it doesn't have to be a certain way. Education shouldn't fit into a box. It needs to be designed around the individual student. And I think that parents, you know, growing up, little older. Like I was just told, like, these are your teachers. These are your staff. This is who you follow. They know what they're doing. And you didn't buck the system
3: right? Right. per
2: se. And I think now what I try to push and what I like to see, and I do see this sometimes, is that parents have, like you said, they're equal stakeholders in their IEP meetings. And if not, they're like the top stakeholder. Right. Mm -hmm. That's how it should be.
3: And I think they also oftentimes don't realize that the school is obligated to show or ensure the child is making quote unquote adequate progress. So oftentimes they may not be, they're they're getting services, but they're not really making good progress or quote unquote adequate progress. And so parents don't know to say, whoa, <laughs> what about, you know, wait, what can we do about this? Because whatever's in place is not being effective or it's not working well enough for little Jimmy. Or do we need to change his individualized education goals so that they are able to be mastered? So that's a whole nother ball of concern I'm sure that you see is that kids are not making adequate progress and the school is not doing anything about it. So do you help parents understand those goals and making sure they're measurable goals? How to read those updates and see the progress?
2: Yes. I mean, in that Again, you guys you speak to such wonderful points that it's a huge issue. So goals need to be SMART goals. And SMART is an acronym, and it stands for specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. So if you have a goal and a student's working on it, working on it, you know, for a set period of time, not making any progress... You need to look at that goal and either break it down smaller, adjust it a different way. I mean, something's not working because the child's not attaining that goal. Mm -hmm. And that's right in the definition of SMART goals. It needs to be attainable. And they need to be uh, measurable and they need to be specific. So we don't want to let goals go on for three months and not have a student meet any of it. Mm -hmm. And I think with parents, I often look at an IEP from before and an IEP currently so that we can match it up to see, like, are the goals, are they transferring? Are they moving along? Are they gaining? Are they growing? Um, And explaining exactly what a goal should look like, how to write a goal, and what to look for to make sure that their goals are actually good goals.
1: Right. Do you feel and like the, possible. the emergence of now every district is pretty much using like an automated IEP writing system. Do you feel like those pre-written goals, like the pre, what do you, you, what would you call that? Like just they're, they're prefabricated or yeah. what? like yeah. stock, stock think, goals. Thank you. you. Feel, yeah. Do you think that's, I mean, I, do you feel like that's hurting kids that it's not, I mean, yes, it's individualized, but it's, it's not.
2: So I actually had this conversation recently with a, with a new teacher, who didn't realize that she could input her own goals and she didn't have to use the dropdown. I was like, wait, so nobody explained that to you,
3: mm-hmm. you
2: know, which is a problem. Cause there, there are generally, I feel that teachers and staff really want to do their best mm-hmm. for the students. Is it lack of training, lack of resources? You know, those things do play a part, but time. time. Uh, time constraints and caseloads and things like that, but she, the, but this teacher had no idea. And I was like, "You don't have to use the drop down because the drop down I do feel is limiting for students. Mm-hmm. Not everyone fits into a drop down box. Right. And I understand for time purposes, it's it's easier. You can go click, click. click. There you go. But no goals in theory should not come from a drop down.
1: Menu. Mm -hmm. It's the whole, I mean, hence the name individualized Individualized. education plan. Mm
3: -hmm. Right. We need to keep the I in individualized. That's right. So I'm curious, what would you say, if you could pinpoint, what are the most common disabilities that you are having to help the parents with navigating the special education system? Or is there one, or is there one, or is it running the gamut? I mean, they're under IDEA. There's 13 different disability categories a child can have, but what are the most common ones you feel like the IEPs are not necessarily appropriate or the parents are ill-informed and they're needing your services? So I, I hate to
2: say this, but it's primarily autism and ADHD.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, and
2: interesting. I would love to say it runs the gamut, but it doesn't. To be perfectly honest, I mean, I uh, the majority of my clients, or or a combination of both, because oftentimes autism and ADHD go hand in hand. Yeah. There's a few um, oppositional defiant disorder outliers, and those are usually more because the behavioral needs the behavioral needs aren't being met.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: But predominantly, it is whether or not goals are either too high, like unreachable at the moment, Mm -hmm. or um, too low, that this child already has mastered that, and how come you don't know this as a teacher when you're with them all day, Um, or they're not teaching skills that are relatable or meaningful to the learner. To the learner. You know, and especially with, with... some of our learners with autism or ADHD, we want to set them up to be as independent as possible in their lives. We need to be putting those skills in the IEP.
3: Mhm. That's interesting. I agree. Rather than just writing academic goals, they need to also be learning life skills and social skills and behavior management skills,
2: self-regulation. I mean, there's a there's a gamut of skills that we don't put into IEPs at times. And it's, it's a disservice to some of our kids.
1: You know, you talked earlier about kind of like looking at the whole child and, and helping parents at home as well, right? So the school piece is important, but then they come home and you've got, you know, however many hours with them at home. So what are you finding to be the most common thread among, you know, parents? What, are, what kind of help are they looking for for at home?
2: So at home, I'm finding a lot of parents just need help with like things like meltdowns. And I use the word meltdowns. Differently than I would like a tantrum. We're not talking mm. a tantrum. I can't have this and I'm, you know, I'm upset. We're talking full on. They come home from school, they need to decompress and they physically don't know what to do with themselves. Um, so I t- work a lot on teaching calming strategies, on setting up areas where a student can come and decompress after a day, then getting ready to reintroduce tasks or demands. Uh, And then also working on accepting doing tasks or demands or working on accepting no or waiting for things, you know, and that's a lot of, of transitions. It's another Mm -hmm. piece moving from one activity to another, or um, if you have a a child at home that wants to be on their iPad, um, transitioning off of the iPad or off of a TV, you know,
3: to a non-perverted
2: task. Exactly exactly off of you know something that's more preferred to a non-preferred task can be challenging mm-hmm. uh, and also getting everyone on the same page so oftentimes and, and I, I do say this in my course my mom lives with me and so and it's myself my two kids and my mother and when we first um all lived together i didn't know if we were going to make it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it It's a struggle when you have, and that's why I always say the adults in the house, because every household looks differently. Right. So like, and um, she didn't realize with my son's ADHD that he has a hard time processing things. So she would say something to him and he either just wouldn't answer her or um, not do it all. And she would get so upset. I'm like, mom, He doesn't, like, you need to slow your speech down. You need to give him one step direction at a time. And then once we got past that, it really helped, And you know, in the consistency piece. But I've been there, and I know what it's like to be on two separate pages with the other person who is an adult living in your house. Mm -hmm. And I think that that makes a huge difference. For
3: sure. Getting them on the same page and using the same strategies and language. Exactly. techniques,
1: Everything. Mm -hmm. Not that if mom says, no, I'm going to go ask grandma because she always says yes.
3: Right.
2: Right. A (laughs) hundred percent.
1: So you meet with everybody virtually. So they send you their paperwork, you review it, you look at it, you meet virtually, and then you've got your Facebook group and your online course that they can get the whole thing, which is awesome because that way they can go through it at their own pace. They, do they then schedule times to talk with you if they have questions? Do you have like a like a messaging thing you do? Like, how does that work?
2: So I actually, with the Facebook group, I am on there. I am active all the time. So yes, I answer messages on there. I answer messages through my email. So if they wanted to just talk to me one-on-one, because some people aren't comfortable asking things in groups. And then if we needed to set up a time to talk, I do everything virtually. Um, I also do consulting packages. So say someone's not interested in advocacy or... Records review or things like that, but they have more behavioral concerns for home, um, or even ABA therapy at home. I do that virtually as well, so they can set up a consult, and otherwise they can ask questions or access me in the group.
1: That's awesome. Thank you. That's awesome. And the fact that you 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 know, like you said, these laws they they they're applicable in every state, Mm -hmm. so it doesn't matter where you come from. And like you said, those are the bare minimums that the school should be doing. There's there's more that they can do, but there is a bare minimum. Bare and you minimum. want to make sure that your students getting at least the bare minimum. We all want way more for our kids
3: though. Of course.
2: A hundred percent. We don't want the bare bones. I mean, and that's where I think educators also need to put themselves in parents' places and really make sure that the empathy piece is there. And and think about that. If you want mm-hmm. would you want bare bones for your child? Right. You know, they're little humans. We want them to grow up to be successful.
1: Well, and I think right now, too, with our teacher shortages and people leaving, the, I mean, I think that's even worse because now we've got so many new people, people that haven't don't have an education background. It's it's starting all over with so many of the staff that you really have to be on your toes to make sure that your child's still getting what they need.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, we are in a really weird state in education and people are retiring. People are leaving. And this is across the nation. So it's not mm-hmm. just one area. There's paraprofessional positions that we can't fill mm-hmm. and teacher positions that we can't fill or find subs for. So, you, I mean, you it's a really, really interesting time. And it is a time for parents to be extra diligent. Yes, yeah. I wow. would agree. Wow. So,
3: as part of the package, when you re- review their evaluations and their IEP documents, would you ever attend an IEP meeting with a parent as their advocate? Yes. I'm sorry. I didn't even say that.
2: I do attend um,
3: IEP meetings
2: virtually. So sometimes I'll even just do it on the phone if the parent calls me and they put me on the table with their little cell phone. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise I do virtually. And then locally to me, if I can get to the meeting, I will go in person here as well. And I find that all three of those approaches work equally as well. Like when you hear mm-hmm. you know the person speaking even if it's just on the phone, I think that that adds a different layer to the meeting. Well, it's mm-hmm. peace of mind for the
3: parents.
1: Right. Right. You're even hearing just, what I'm hearing. We can talk about this and you can, you know,
3: you're hearing right. exactly what I'm hearing. Absolutely. And I've got someone in my corner that's kind of on my side, quote unquote.
2: Absolutely. Because like what you said earlier, there's like six other people that that work for the school, and then it's parents. And so mm-hmm. even though you don't want an us versus them um, situation, it sometimes can feel that way. Mm-hmm. And also parents have to have a long, ongoing relationship with the school district, and they not want to rock the boat or say things that an advocate can say.
3: Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Very exactly clear. right. Yeah. They're afraid that there will be repercussions on their child if they rock the boat. And you know schools
2: also love to blame the advocates. So after like the meetings, will that advocate, like it must be coming from them because mom is so nice. And you're thinking to yourself, well, the advocates really supporting the parent. But mm-hmm. so it's nice because it does take a little heat <laughs> off of off of the parents.
1: But I think you know, in just kind of thinking about advocates and ones we've worked with, or I even went back when I was in the school districts and advocates. I love that you have worked in the schools, right? Like that you know what it's like to sit on the other side of the table. So you have a little bit of empathy for the staff, right? Mm -hmm. You know what they're up against. You know the staffing shortages. You know about hours and time. And so you have a little bit of empathy, even though you're there for the parent. Sometimes I feel like it's so important for you to be able to help the parent understand the limitations of the school. Like Mm -hmm. what's realistic?
2: Definitely. And I think even, I have a client who I've had, Actually, for quite some time now, and um, I, I think being open as an advocate to parents as well, and not—I am fully there to support them, but also being in education and knowing um, the different classrooms and being able to, as a BCBA, see like the skill levels, make recommendations based on that. And so, the client I was working with, and again, we have a wonderful relationship. Um, this the school wanted to move that child to a more restrictive setting. And I, she went in and she saw both the classrooms and she agreed to a more restrictive setting than he's in now, but a least restrictive setting than they wanted to put him in. And I had, and I had to be honest with her that let's try this, but keep an open mind because he may need that support of the more restrictive setting for a little bit of time doesn't mean he's going to live there forever, Mm -hmm. but you know, and I think that's hard and seeing it from a school point of view, seeing it that like they know that that child may do better in a more restrictive setting, but the parent Mm -hmm. is just not at that point yet.
3: Right. Right.
2: So it's, it's,
3: Accessing. you can help them them see the benefits to their child of of that more restrictive setting and talk about what the classroom teaching looks like in that setting. Absolutely. Sometimes the school's right. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the school's right. Sometimes
1: the school is right. And the parent needs to hear that from you. Right. Absolutely.
2: And I do. And that's, I do bring that to the table as well. Even if they don't want to hear it, I would, you know.
1: And that's important. You're not just going to fight to fight. You're going to absolutely you're there for really what's best for the child mm-hmm. absolutely i love that so okay so we're right. going to put your website into our show notes yeah. best way for parents to reach you would be through your website i assume yes my you website contact us form yeah i have a contact us, yep. a
2: contact us and a um, a free 30-minute consult for everyone cool. just to see if we were a good fit or if you know if they wanted to ask
3: questions oh as that's well. awesome oh that's, that's great, great. Well, this has been so helpful. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. It's it's important for parents to know that there are resources out there outside of the school system that can help them navigate the special education system, the 504 system, and help them understand the laws, their rights these individualized education plans, and what schools can and can't do for them. And I feel like for us, we can walk
1: them through the assessment process and kind of where they should go. But then at some point, we want to be able to have someone that we can say, look, this person can really help you navigate now the process of making sure you're getting the right services. So it's nice to mm-hmm. be able to be kind of know that we're handing someone off that knows what they're doing. They've been there. They've got a good take on it. So we're excited to have you as uh-huh. a resource. Absolutely.
2: Thank you. And vice versa. And I really appreciate that very much. Sure. Well, thank thank you you. so much for
1: being here today. I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. We're here on a Saturday, so enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you And if you guys have any questions or have any suggestions of things you'd like to have us talk about, don't hesitate to reach out. Let's Talk Learning Disabilities at gmail.com.
3: You can also check out our new podcast website that we've launched recently. It's ltldpodcast.com. And there you can access... Um, all of the different Episodes we've had, they're grouped by topics. If you wanted to choose a different, a specific topic and then find all the different episodes related to that topic, there's also resources with all the different specialists we've had and the professionals and their links. There's additional resources, a plethora of resources on that website also. We're super so excited about that. Yeah. We are excited for our Looks listeners, great. for Let's Talk Learning Disabilities podcast, ltldpodcast.com is our podcast website
2: thanks Jen thank you so thank much you so much. have a great rest of your day thanks you too
1: all right bye
0: thank you so much for joining us today in our show notes you can find information about today's talk as well as links to the resources and other episodes if you have questions about today's talk have ideas for future episodes or just want to stay connected You can contact us through Diagnostic Learning Services on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. So, let's keep talking learning disabilities. This podcast is sponsored by eDiagnostic Learning. You can find more information at www.ediagnosticlearning.com.